Good morning, church family. Hey, if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, um, my name is Tyler Cash. I serve as one of the pastors of Christ Covenant Fellowship. Uh, it's an honor and joy to be with you this morning. Um, I'd love to meet you after service. Uh, if I haven't had the opportunity to introduce myself, uh, if you have questions about uh, CCF, then uh, ask one of our members. We, they'd love to share more about our church family and what the Lord is doing here uh, with this body of believers. Um, we've been studying the book, <clears throat> or the letter, rather, Paul to the church in Philippi. Uh, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11 today. Philippians chapter 3. Verses 7 through 11, if you're new to the Bible, it's all right. It's in the back, the New Testament. You can ask somebody around you, but don't be afraid to search your table of contents and find Paul's letter to the Philippians. Chapter 3, verse 7 through 11, I'm going to read this. We're going to ask God to help us, and then we're going to dive into God's Word today, see what he has for us. Chapter 3, verse 7 reads this, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that we have your word. We thank you for faithful brothers, leaders like the Apostle Paul who have gone before us and have walked a life that is, and lived a life that is worth imitating. And Father, I pray today that you would help us to be encouraged, to be strengthened. Lord, I pray that you would help me to have faith that your word will provide what it needs. Father, would you help this body of believers today? Would you help any that may be far off that may not know you to understand today their need for Christ Jesus and faith in him? Father, what we know not, would you teach us? What we are not, would you make us? What we have not, would you give us by your grace for your glory? In Christ's name, God's people said, so last week we looked at Paul's assault on the Judaizers as he warned the church at Philippi to basically to watch out for him. He said, watch out for these people. He says, consider them a threat. They threaten your well-being. Uh, then the Apostle Paul, he laid out his own accolades. If you remember, if you were here with us, uh, some were given to him by birth, uh, something that he did nothing to earn. There were other that he had personal contribution to. And what he accomplished on his own and what he accomplished by birth that was just given to him, they would have made Paul the best of the best in regards to what the Judaizers were teaching this church in Philippi. So, so everything that these false teachers were presenting to this church, Paul had done it. And he had done it better than anyone else. He basically says every erroneous addition to the gospel that they are telling you to do, I have done better than them. I've done it better. And here in this portion of the letter, Paul furthers his point by giving his personal testimony. He, he, he furthers his, his 
explanation of this false teaching. And he helps them to see that the idea that there is nothing in the world, there's nothing at all that is greater, there's no accomplishment that is greater, there's no righteousness that can be achieved outside of Christ, and there's nothing that is greater than knowing Christ, being found in him. That is Paul's point. The title of today's message is The Great Exchange. The Great Exchange. And in our time today, as we look at verses 7 through 11, we're going to see Paul share four exchanges that will help us as we evaluate the state of our own lives and our own walk with Christ. We'll see four exchanges that the Apostle Paul makes here. Uh, The first one, he exchanges cultural privileges for Christocentric, that just means Christ-centered privilege. So he makes the change of a cultural privilege to a Christ-centered privilege. Number two, he exchanges self-righteousness for true righteousness. Self-righteousness for true righteousness. He then, the third we'll see, we'll look at, is he exchanges comfort, which we all love, for suffering. Comfort for suffering. And the last one we'll look at is he exchanges death for eternal life. Death for eternal life. Let's look at the first. So we first see this exchange of a cultural privilege for a Christocentric privilege in verses 7 through 8. He says, but whatever gain I had, right? So he's, he's coming off right off of the, the heels of his last statement of everything that he had done. And he says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. I mean, we just see this pattern of it's just loss, loss, loss. And I use the term here, uh, cultural privilege, because as I said, uh, Paul lists uh, accolades. They, in verses 5 and 6, were accolades that provided much cultural recognition and privilege. Much cultural recognition here. It would have been things that would be very, very uh, highly valued in his day and time. But here, Paul says, these gains, these, these gains in the flesh, these things I did that brought me status and social equity, uh, this cultural privilege that I had gained, hey, guess what? They weren't really gains at all. They're not gains. Paul uses these kind of accounting terms here. Um, Some people that have a lot of money, a lot of net worth, right? Uh, They may uh, use some type of net worth balance sheet. I I don't know anything about that, but I don't have the money to, to do that type of stuff. But here what he lists are these uh, assets, gains, and then losses. He puts these different things in these two different columns here. And Paul's point here is that there has been a major reversal of his evaluation of his assets, uh, of those things that have been given to him, those things that he has earned. He's just kind of flipped everything upside down now. He's changed the way that he evaluates what he has. He says, the things that I once considered, that everyone else would have looked at me and said, this is it. This guy has got it all together. I'm counting them as loss. I've I've reversed how I think about this. And look, it's important to note how Paul speaks here. Okay, He doesn't talk as if his conversion made him kind of just let go and let God, right? You know, a lot of people would, uh, would suggest that Christianity is just about, like, not thinking for yourself. That it's some type of, uh, you know, escape from reality and, you know, you don't really think anymore. You just kind of blind faith. We talked about this a little bit in our men's Bible study. Um, how that, that's just, that's false. It, it's not a blind faith. No, we, we have a faith that's built on fact. We have, we have a 
faith that, that we are to think, that we think through things. Christianity is not some mindless cop-out from reality. It, is for, it isn't for those that are you know, simple-minded and can't find anything else to fulfill them in life. Paul doesn't speak that way. Paul uses this term, and one commentator says it like this. He says, Paul's encounter with Christ did not shut off his mind. It, it didn't make him just stop thinking. He says it set him free to think with a whole new depth and clarity about his life from a totally different perspective. He says his conversion was not an escape from reason, but rather an illumination of reason. Amen? We see things clear. We understand, uh, okay, well, this is actually why this happened. This is actually how we navigate. I mean, how, how do you reconcile the evil in the world without Christ? How do you reconcile the struggles, the turmoil, the hardships you go through in life without Christ? You can't. If, if I thought that this world was it, oh goodness, I mean, we'd be miserable, miserable people. If there was no hope in Christ. And see, once Paul evaluated his life in light of the value of Christ, it changed everything for him. It changed everything for Paul and brothers and sisters. It should change everything for us. It should change the way we live. Good practice for us all as we evaluate decisions that we make. How we engage with the world around us and how we evaluate our priorities in life is this kind of comparison, right? Christ or this. And Paul goes on to say that everything that would prevent him from Christ was rubbish. He says everything that brought him cultural privilege, everything that maybe would have gained him favor with those around him, if it prevented him from gaining Christ, then it's rubbish, now, this word rubbish means exactly what it sounds like. It's just wasteful. It's just trash. It's worthless. Uh, the KJV uses dung. A little more st strong language there. Uh, that's what we read in the, that Valley of Vision. That's from the, uh, the Puritans wrote those prayers. And they say, let us be like Paul and consider all things dung if they prevent us from Christ. Amen. The original Greek is defined like this, any refuse, as the excrement of animals, offscurring, worthless, detestable. I mean, Paul does not hold back any punches when he talks about these things that held him from Christ. He does not say, oh, well, you know, they were pretty cool. No, they're rubbish. They're rubbish. If they prevent me from gaining Christ, they are rubbish. This word was also used to describe what was thrown to wild dogs uh, in his day and time. They would say, yeah, you know, throw them the rubbish. They get the rubbish, the leftovers. And if you remember, we talked about this last week. And I don't think it's any coincidence that Paul calls the Judaizers dogs, which were something that the Jews used. They would call the Gentiles, those that weren't Jews, they would call them dogs as a derogatory terminology. So now Paul is almost again, right? He's, he's very witty. He's very thoughtful and is tactful in the way that he addresses things. And he says, yeah, everything that you guys, you know, you, you say that they need to do, actually, uh, that's rubbish. Uh, and that's, you're the dogs. You get it. You take it. You're wrong. Any addition to the gospel of Jesus Christ is rubbish. It's wrong. Paul flips it on him. He says, you're the dogs. Paul says, I don't need cultural privilege when I have Christ. I don't need it. Do you need it? I mean, that's the question that we must answer for ourselves. Are we gaining and are we trying to gain 
cultural approval are we trying to gain Christ? I mean, that's his whole point here. He says, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. All things. He says, I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He says, the privilege that I once had in the world is nothing in comparison to the privilege of knowing Christ. And knowing anything about Christ. This personal relationship. And we've got to ask ourselves, is that our mindset? Are we willing to give up every cultural privilege? I mean, every cultural privilege in order to know Christ and Christ alone. I mean, we must remember the words of our Savior. He says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to what? Forfeit his soul. We see that happening all around us. The dog-eat-dog world, right? You got to get ahead. You, You get what you can get and forget about everything else. That's what the world will tell us to do. But Paul knew the truth. There's nothing greater than Christ. There's nothing greater than knowing Christ, being found in Christ. Nothing greater than salvation in Christ. And then secondly here, we see Paul exchange this. It leads on to this exchange of self-righteousness for a true righteousness. So he doesn't just stop here and say, okay, well, everything is rubbish. Uh, It's, you know, everything's bad. I'm just going to, you know, give up stuff and then I'll be all right. (laughs) That's not how it works. There's got to be a righteousness now. There must be a righteousness for us to have a right relationship with God. He goes on, he says in verse 9, he says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God, that depends on everything I do. Ain't nobody looking at the Bibles. Because that's not what it says. Depends on faith. Depends on faith. Here Paul expresses the truth that Christians are found in Christ. And therefore not found guilty before God. Listen, that's the only way. That, that's the only way that you do not stand in full condemnation of holy creator God is being found in Christ. If no one's ever told you that, hear my words today. See, through faith in Christ, God credits Christ's lifelong record of perfect obedience to those who trust in Christ for salvation. Only Christ. See, any righteousness that Paul could have had on his own was all a result of his personal zeal. I mean, remember Paul says, he was like, I was, the, I was zealous. Man, everything that people thought and that they would give me uh, personal accolades, I was about it. I did it. I was all about that stuff. But Paul thought that he, what he was doing which this is what happens a lot of times, right? Paul thought what he was doing was actually pleasing to God. Paul, Paul thought, okay, well, these things that I'm doing, I'm persecuting Christians because, you know, uh, that they're wrong because they're not doing what I think they should do. Paul thought, okay, well, I'm doing the work of God. He thought that he pleased God by somehow doing things and that By doing these things, he could be found righteous. This is the way that so many people think. And listen, brothers and sisters, that wasn't the story then, and it's not the story now. Uh, If you remember the story of the young, rich ruler in Mark chapter 10, if you remember this story, it says, 
And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, and he's talking to Jesus here. He says, good teacher. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, he says, "Uh, why do you call me good? He says, no one is good except God alone. He says, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, the the young rich ruler, says back to him, he says, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. So he tells him, he said, "I've, I've done all these things, right? I've been good. Morality is my thing. I got it. And then in verse 21 says, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. You lack one thing. He says, go sell all you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And he's like, and then you, you come and follow me. See, Jesus knew this man's heart. He knew what was going on in his heart. And then he says, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He wouldn't trade at all. He wouldn't count these things as rubbish for righteousness in Christ. And then Jesus looks at his disciples. He says, how difficult will it be to have wealth? Tempt- or the disciples say to him, how, how difficult must it be to have wealth and enter the kingdom? And Jesus says to them, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Those that do great works. It's not what he says. He says, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. What he's teaching here is that there is a righteousness that must be attained that is only attained through God himself. God is the giver of this righteousness. There is no work. There is no money. There is no thing that you can do. And then the Sermon on the Mount, right? Matthew 5 through 7, chapters 5 through chapter 7, Jesus teaches that it is impossible to even follow the law perfectly anyway. He he elevates the law. He says, okay, yeah, so you you haven't committed adultery. Have you ever lusted? Uh, You've never committed murder? You ever been angry? You ever called somebody foolish? Guess what? It's not about your external performance. It's about right here, your heart about your being. You are riddled with sin. I love you. But it's true. We're riddled with sin. Born in iniquity. Jesus goes on to talk about many other things in the Sermon on the Mount. And elevating, showing the people that, look, there's nothing you can do. There's no morality. There's no righteousness within yourself. No philanthropy work you can do. No amount of money you can give. Is just, there's nothing you can do to gain a right relationship with Creator God. And see, according to the lies that were being presented by the Judaizers in this letter here, contextually, the people in Philippi, I mean, Paul was, was the goat, right? I mean, he, he was the greatest. He had done it all. He had done everything. And Paul himself is saying, the things that I was doing that I thought was gaining righteousness were really self-righteousness. It did nothing for my relationship with the creator of the universe. And we can insert anything else here, okay? You can insert anything you want with our day and age. They were confronted by these uh, ideas of following the Mosaic law, including circumcision. We can include anything else too. We talked about that a little bit last week. But I mean, anything that you think that you can do, success, like I said, philanthropy work, uh, humanitarian work, uh, good deeds, morality, whatever it is that you think will get you in the right relationship with God is rubbish. It's helpless. It's pointless. Your morality 
being a good parent. They're, they're all good things, right? Good things that we should do, but they do not achieve the righteousness that holy God requires. That is Paul's point here. See, we need righteousness to be accepted by God. And like I said, we don't have it. None of us have it on our own. And what we have is sin. So how do we move from this unrighteousness to righteousness? Well, thankfully, Paul tells us, right? Because Paul says here, he says, I want to be found in him. Who is the him? Jesus Christ. I must be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. So there's a righteousness that we can have that isn't from us. It is from Christ. And our faith in Christ gives us righteousness in Christ. Um, This is often referred to as imputed righteousness. Uh, The word impute just signifies setting to one's account, like imputed, given to, uh, not on your own, not based on your own works, uh, reckoning a person to something. So we get reckoned to, we get given this righteousness that we did not earn because of Christ. See, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died in our place. We, we all know that. If you don't know that, listen to that. He, he dies in your place. Uh, Romans 8, 3 tells us, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for our sin, he, God, condemned sin in the flesh. He condemns sin through Christ and Christ alone. And whose flesh bore the condemnation? His, Jesus. Whose sins were being condemned? Ours. That's good news. That's very good news. This is the greatest exchange of them all. Something we could never do on our own. I mean, we read this earlier, right? In 2 Corinthians 5, 20, and for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we can try harder and do better. That's not in there. So that we might become the righteous of God. That is good news. See, God put our sin on Christ and punishes our sin in him. He takes the full brunt, all of it. He doesn't just show up to pinch it. I mean, he's, he, the game's over. Done. Finished. He wins it all. And in Christ's obedient death, God fulfills and vindicates his righteousness and imputes, credits it to us. Jesus gets our sin we get his righteousness. See, the, the beauty of the gospel isn't just the forgiveness of sin. The forgiveness of sin is great. The beauty of the gospel is that we also are given the righteousness of Christ. That, that we stand before God on behalf of our Savior. That Christ, he mediates for us. He stands in our place. He stood in our place and he continues to. It is Christ in Christ alone. All our forgiveness, all our justification, all our righteousness in Christ. Nowhere else, brothers and sisters. I mean, this is the gospel. The good news that Christ dies the death that we deserve and we get the life that we don't now and for eternity. All in your place. You and I, we deserved his death and so much more. Paul's point is that this great exchange becomes ours not by works, not by anything that we do. We stand in front of holy creator God and say, look at the list of things I did. The Bible says they're like filthy rags. They're worthless. 
Christ and Christ alone gives us the righteousness that we need to stand face to face with the Holy God. It is in Him alone. And that is Paul's point here. And he says it like this to the Ephesians, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's nothing that you did. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Guess what? You get no boasting in your salvation either. It's not because you walked the aisle. It's not because you said the prayer. It's not because you did anything. It's because of Christ. It's all because of him. It's because of God. Drawing, saving, working in you, changing your heart, taking out the heart of stone, giving you a heart new. Maybe some of you are in here today and you've, you, you've been hostile to the gospel. The Lord is working right now, hopefully, speaking. Paul's telling the church, he's telling these believers, he's saying there's nothing you can do to make yourself righteous. He says don't even try it. He says it's faith alone that will make you righteous, and uh, that's my plea to you today. Uh, for anyone that's in here, anyone who is seeking righteousness outside of faith in Christ, please stop. Repent and believe the gospel. That is the way to salvation. And brothers and sisters, it is all worth it when we see as we continue that faith in Christ doesn't mean that things just become a cakewalk either. Right? It's not some magic switch that all of a sudden, okay, well, I said the prayer, I'm in. Life is just great, full of Mercedes and, uh, you know, big houses and bank accounts that are full and no problems in my world. That's not how, how it happened with me. It's not what it says. It's not what the Bible teaches us. Christianity isn't for the simple-minded, as we read earlier in Hey, let me encourage you. It's not for the weak either. No place in Christianity for softness. <laughs> because we are given strength by the power of Christ. We see this third exchange here where Paul exchanges his comfort for suffering. He exchanges his comfort for suffering. Look at what he says in verse 10. He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Now, we all know that, look, cultural privileges bring comfort in many ways, right? We know that uh, when you're liked by people, uh, things are just a little bit easier. You know, if your, your boss likes you, you might you're probably more likely to get a, a raise. Like I said, these aren't horrible things, but we know just comfort, our privileges bring comfort. Paul had it. Okay, before Paul's conversion, he had wealth, he had status, he had influence. He had a pretty comfortable life. He was doing the things that he wanted to do. He was zealous. But here Paul says, Forget the comfortable life. Not only do I want the righteousness found in Christ, he says, I want to share in the sufferings of Jesus. I want to share in the sufferings of Christ. Now, I know I probably lost some of you right there, right? You're like, man, I was all in it when you talk about the righteousness stuff. Like, that's what I want to be. I'm all for that. But you're talking about this, like, suffering stuff? Uh, that's going to be a no for me. I mean, that's the way our society has, has wired us to think. That, that somehow we are just supposed to mosey through this life without any trials, without any circumstances. And because when things happen, man, we fall apart, right? And not to say that we're not supposed to have emotions. We were given emotions. But our emotions and the way we react to things should be a reaction to propel us towards prayer and finding ourselves in Christ deeper and deeper. Our relationship and our intimacy with Christ should go stronger in trials and tribulations. 
Paul says, forget it. I mean, brothers and sisters, suffering for Christ may be a part of your Christian experience if you truly follow Christ in this world, in the face of opposition. Remember we talked about with this group of Christians who received this letter, what they were dealing with. Because remember, this is written to a people. This isn't just some uh, ambiguous letter here. I mean, this is written to a group of people for specific purpose, this contextual uh, issues that we have to deal with here. They were faced with political pressure. The Romans were, I mean, they're saying, hey, you, you need to be like us. Do the things that Rome does. Uh, and then they were faced here with spiritual pressure. Judaizers saying, nah, do what we say to do. They were had it coming from all angles, right? These brothers and sisters, this church, they didn't get a break. When, what happens usually when you resist powerful people? When you resist, you stand in opposition of those in power, what happens, right? Or when you go against the majority, what usually happens? Ridicule, persecution, suffering, you know, ostracized so much that you just, okay, well, you know, I don't really know what to do. Maybe I'll just give in. Paul uses his own testimony here to encourage them. He says, press on in the face of suffering. He's showing that suffering for Christ was something he had done in the past, was doing in the present. Because Paul, uh, for you all that don't know, Paul's locked up here. Uh, And he actually doesn't know if he's going to make it out. And he says, I'm willing to do it in the future. He says, whatever the Lord should will, I will joyfully submit to whatever God calls me to. Let me read a bit of Paul's testimony, a little, little update for anyone that uh, isn't familiar with it. He gives us a good picture in 2 Corinthians 11, uh, chapter 11, verses 21 through 28. You don't have to turn there. You can write it down. Um, I would really encourage you, whenever you're feeling like, man, life's really throwing me some bones. I'm really, it, this is tough. Like, why is my life like this? Read this, all right? Um, and, and evaluate your perspective with Paul's perspective. But let me read this for us real quickly. So Paul's writing here and he says, but whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. He says, I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments. Here's where the the list starts to, to go. With countless beatings, often near death. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own peoples, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from all these things, that's a That's a pretty long list of hardships there. Apart from that, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. I mean, Paul loved these brothers and sisters, all of the churches that he had a part in planting. He he loved them. He, He had anguish. He felt for them. I mean, Paul didn't just talk the talk, right? He didn't just say, hey, this is something that you should do. This is something that would be good for you, and tell me how it goes. Paul walked the walk. Paul's not writing from a place of prestige here. He's writing from a place of experience here. See, the zeal that Paul once had to persecute the church 
was now used to promote the church and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he did it no matter the suffering that was coming his way. Paul's resolve was to exchange a life of comfort for a life of suffering. And brothers and sisters, especially our church, my prayer is that we would be the same. That we would be a church that would be willing at all costs to do the same. And look, not everybody's going to suffer the same. Not everybody's going to go through the exact same thing. Not everybody's going to be called to the same thing. Everybody's not going to go through the same turmoil and tribulations as everyone else. Uh, For many, suffering may look like just the mundane of life, right? You know, wanting something bigger, wanting something greater. And God may use the mundane of just daily sacrifice to those around you to sanctify you and to make you more like Christ. That's one thing that we actually see through this passage, too. We see justification. We see sanctification here, and then we're going to look at glorification as well. It's a little systematic theology for you all. Um, But for some, you will be called to suffer. There will be a call on some of us to, to really suffer tangibly, to take a stand for Christ at your job, maybe your Uh, place of influence, wherever it may be. Uh, Maybe you may have to take a stand for Christ at your school, in your community, and it may cost you. It could cost you something. We all know that, look, we are not gaining any popularity in our current culture if we are true Bible-believing Christians. We're not gaining popularity. I mean, something I'm confronted with daily is one who takes the word of God serious and will unapologetically stand on the word of God in any situation. And, hey, I'm, I have a public uh, platform, if you want to call it that, and always ask myself, right, hey, someone, the wrong person gets a hold to a video or something that we say or whatever, uh, will we face persecution? And Okay, let's go. I got Brandon with me. <laughs> and brothers and sisters, that's Pastor Brandon for y'all that don't know right here. The red shirt, he's a pretty big guy. 25 years of friendship, he's not going to let me down now. But brothers and sisters, I know that our church family, we, we have each other too. And, and that's something that we need to rest in, take comfort in that Man, God knew what he was doing when he designed the church. That's why we talk about this all the time, right? Church isn't a show. It's not something you just attend. The church is a family. And when you really treat it like that and you really understand that, man, it changes your perspective of how you view your current situation. And the question is, is that your resolve? I mean, are you at the point where you say, you know what, it's Christ or nothing, No matter what comes my way, I'm going to stand firm in Christ, whether that means suffering. It's like Paul, I mean, he's he's like ready and waiting, right? He's like a kid on Christmas morning, right? Like, give me another one, right? You know, a little crazy. Love Paul. But his mindset, this understanding was based on the understanding of what was to come for him. We see that in our fourth exchange here as Paul has exchanged death, and this is simple, right? Death for eternal life. He says in verse 11, he says, That by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Here Paul expresses the beautiful truth that for Christians, death does not have the final word. Amen. What a beautiful promise. He shows his hope that just like Christ was raised from the dead, he too, as he is now found in Christ, by faith in Christ, will be raised himself. And that should be the greatest comfort and hope that you have. 
knowing that you will be raised again to new life, to enjoy the perfection of God in eternity forever. What a beautiful promise. Now, look, life isn't a video game at all, okay? But I cannot help but have this illustration in my mind every time I read this, okay? Um, So I was born in 1981. When I was a kid, uh, the first Nintendo um, came out, okay? And there was this game, and I, you know, my mom got me a Nintendo one, one year for Christmas or something, and, um, you know, I used to love it, right? The Nintendo was really cool. Uh, now it's called Vintage, which I think that's, you know, it's still cool. So uh, <clears throat> there was a game called Contra. I don't know if anybody ever played Contra. Contra was the, I mean, that was the jam. And there was this code you could put in with Contra that, like, gave you infinite lives, like you just wouldn't die. And, man, I would do crazy stuff in con, right? I'm playing a game, and all of a sudden, like, I'm doing crazy stuff because I know I'm not going to die. Like, oh, I'm going to try this one now, right? Just recklessly, like, reckless abandonment of all, like, sane knowledge of, like, what I should be doing in this game. Life's not a video game, all right? We will be judged. We will be, we're called to be stewards, good stewards of everything that we have. But. We should live in this way of understanding that there is nothing. What does death do to us here? The worst that anyone could do, right? Death. That's just the beginning of eternity for those who are in Christ. And it should truly change the way we live, the way we engage with those around us. It should make us think different, live different, respond different, give different, give of ourselves, share the gospel, because we know that everyone doesn't have this hope. We can live with a sense of boldness and the confidence of knowing that our Savior was raised and we will be raised. Raised again to new life. Remember Paul's words to the Corinthians, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, he says we are the of most people to be pitied. It's like, this isn't it for us. Go ahead and you know, gather all your things, your stuff. Your treasure now becomes trash later, as the old saying goes. As Christians, we don't solely base our decision on how it affects us in this world. We are people who have an eternal mindset and understand that there's nothing that can happen to us here for the sake of Christ that not, will not be an eternal reward. Paul is emphasizing the truth that our Savior, Jesus Christ, defeated death once and for all. And Paul's hope is that he, too, will be raised again like his Savior. See, no other power, there's no other political power, there's no ideology, there is no other spiritual influence, there is no other power in this world that can raise the dead. It is Christ. It is Christ alone. That's what Paul leaves his reader with here. That's where his hope was. That's where my hope is. That's where my hope for my family is. That's where my hope for you. Is that your hope? Are you clinging to Christ and not the distractions of the world? Are you clinging to Christ or are you clinging to the temptations of the world? Would you exchange all, everything? Would you count everything as rubbish for the sake of Christ? And if you wouldn't, the Bible says you don't deserve Christ. We must be one that will lay it all down for our Savior who laid it all down for us. As Paul encourages his reader here to make an exchange, as he did himself, my question for you today is that you 
Are you willing to exchange your cultural privilege, your cultural influence for your Christ-centered privilege, the, the only privilege that really matters? Are you willing to trade and exchange your self-righteousness for true righteousness where you, you get no boasting? Are you willing to exchange your comfort for suffering? Or maybe there's somebody in here that doesn't have assurance of eternal life in Christ. And my prayer is that you today would exchange eternal death for eternal life. Repent and believe the gospel. J.I. Packer's classic book, Knowing God, he says this. He says, there is no peace like the peace of those whose minds are possessed with full assurance that they have known God and God has known them and that this relationship guarantees God's favor to them in life through death and on forever. May we all be comforted with that peace today. And if you don't have that peace Talk to the Lord. Ask him to save. Let me pray. Father, would you help us? Would you change us? Would you renew hearts in this space today, Father, for your glory? Lord, would you help us to be a people that are willing to lay it all down, to count it all lost, to count it all rubbish, in order to gain Christ. Lord, would you help any who are banking on their own self-righteousness today, that are banking on their own moral standards that would consider themselves a, a good person, would you help them today to see their need, their depravity for Jesus? Help them to see that their work is nothing. But Christ's work is everything. Father, would you help our church to be a people who are bold as we face opposition in the world around us. Unite us in Christ. Change us. Help us to leave here different than we walked in. Pray that in Christ's name.